Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. And welcome back to another episode of the 30 to Life podcast, Redefining the Black Experience, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. I want to thank everyone for just supporting us. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode. We have a very special guest for you. But before we start, Got to check in with Brown, your favorite color. What's going on, Brown? How's everything on your end? Yo, everything is everything. I'm blessed, highly favored. I'm happy. Um, son went to a little daycare thing today. And I'm happy because, you know, he got to meet another kid that that's his, his age. And and I saw, I mean, I was at work. I, I, I didn't get a chance to experience it because, you know, some of us have to go into work, Mookie. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it's so cool to see my son interacting with other kids finally. So, you know, I was happy about that. But what's going on with you, brother, man? Wait, I got a question. So what okay. do you what do you think are the ramifications for mm-hmm. all these COVID babies, right? Who's yeah. been home, right? Not necessarily at daycare and social skills. Do you think they're going to be behind or do you think they're going to be more self-sufficient because they've been kind of in, on their own island? I think with everything that, that comes to cost, and I do think that, you know, that, both those things, that they will be very self-sufficient. I think that they're going to be a lot more intelligent. I really think they are a lot more intelligent than, you know, kids pre-COVID. But um, uh, yeah, the social anxiety, I think that's going to be heightened. Um, I know I'm noticing it in a lot of kids now in general because, you know, they're more on the computer as opposed to being outside playing with other children. Um, So there's that, there's that, less of a face-to-face interaction with other kids. Um, So I do think that's a challenge that we as parents of children in this age group, you know, have to kind of think about and figure out ways to work around that. Yeah. And also I think like for toddlers or babies right now, like they're going to be more closer to their parents, I think, than other generations because they've been, they see us more, right? They mm-hmm. see us more, been around us more during like the pandemic. So uh definitely agree with that. Uh So yeah, that's, that's good. Glad everything is good on your end, brother. So let's get to our guests. Let's get to our guests. So on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, building a successful business uh, via car rentals. Uh, we have the infamous CPA, Brian, on the podcast for today. Uh, he's originally from Chicago and he is crushing it where it comes to uh, creating businesses based off car rentals, uh, doing an amazing job. And he's teaching people how to do this as well. And also breaking down uh, the tax code as well uh, to take advantage of it and your business. So with that, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on, Brian. Man, thank y'all for having me, man. I'm super excited to be here. Really looking forward to having a dope conversation. So let's get into it. Yes, let's get into it. Thanks so much. Yeah, so so you're a CPA, you're an investor, you're an entrepreneur, and an educator. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and uh, how you uh, became the person that you are today. Man, so I'm going to try to make it short, but... Uh, you know, I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. Growing up, you know, I was a very shy, very reserved kid. Um, and then um, my parents actually separated when I was about in eighth grade. And then I started becoming like a rebel, right? So throughout that time, you know, I started to get into fights and things of that nature, started acting out. But then um, 
I still always kept my grades up for some reason, even though I didn't really care about school. So I always maintained, you know, 3.0, played basketball, ran track, ran cross country all throughout college. I mean, I college, I'm sorry, but high school. But when I got to my high school graduation, I really had a revelation. Um, whereas, you know, I'm seeing all these individuals graduate ahead of me in my class and it pissed me off to the point where I'm like, I'll never let, you know, anyone work outwork me again because I realized that, you know, I let them kind of outwork me because I didn't really put any effort towards it. So that kind of lit a fire up under me, you know, during my high school graduation. So I took this mindset into college because I was always super competitive, even though, you know, I'm shy and reserved. It's like when it comes to competition, all is on. So I started my college career at a community college called Prairie State College, where, you know, I majored in accounting. And it was just like a piece of cake, you know. So I ended up transferring to Northern Illinois University. And it was really the same thing. And I got involved in so many different organizations, like my fraternity, Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. You know, I was a part of this organization called Black Male Initiative and a couple of financial organizations as well. And those really helped me really refine my professional and personal skills. And I went through a lot of personal and professional development. Um, I think the biggest thing that happened to me during my college career was when I was a sophomore in college, I got this internship with a company called College Works Painting. And they literally gave college students the opportunity to run their own exterior painting branches. So literally in the spring, while snow on the ground, we're hiring people, we're going door to door, trying to get leads to talk to these homeowners about, you know, painting their homes once the snow melts. So literally every weekend um, in the spring from school, I was doing that. And then in the summer, you're just running your business full time after you've locked up, you know, X amount of sales. So I end up really, really breaking out of my shell that summer because man, I was so down. I was scared shitless to go door to door to talk to these homeowners. I was scared to I was scared to you know have these conversations with the home homeowners sell them etc cetera, etc cetera. but over time I got more and more comfortable and I end up you know in that little six month time frame ended up building a $25,000 business which as a sophomore in high school that was huge to me and it wasn't even about the numbers it was more so about you know my development because I became a much better communicator I became a much better leader and then I just successfully ran my first business so that was crazy to me but even from there I didn't really I didn't really want to be an entrepreneur. I always had this dream of working for one of the big four accounting firms, which I did, you know, once I graduated college. But then, you know, I started at this big four accounting firm and quickly realized this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, going in, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll stay. I wanted to be a partner. So that means advancing all the way to the top of the total poem and you literally get equity in the company. But after the first month on the job, it became, oh, maybe I'll just stay the manager. Then a couple months later, maybe I'll just stay two or three years till I come a senior associate. And then I end up leaving after two years and not even getting that far. So I quickly realized that, you know, the corporate space, they really kind of, they really undervalue people a lot, especially in public accounting. Like the most people stay for two years and then leave. So, you know, I quickly transitioned into this real estate role, but You know, all the while I realized that you're not going to get paid 
what you want to get paid in corporate. The only way to truly get your true value is to have something on the side going. And I realized that after, you know, my first year at PwC, which is the big four accounting firm, and they gave me a $3,500 raise and we were only making, you know, 59,000 at the time. So it was literally about $200 a month after tax or something of the source. Right. So that made me realize that, you know, if I wanted to really, really increase my income to be able to do way more, I needed to do it on my own. So that's when I ran into real estate. You know, I got really intrigued on real estate, started looking for my first property to house hack. And then I couldn't find anything in my price point because I wanted something turnkey, already renovated, but Chicago's multifamily market was on fire at the time. So I pivoted and that's when I ran into the car rental business. So, you know, working 70 hour weeks, I wasn't using my car. I had a 2016 Ford Fusion and I literally tested it out, put it on this platform called Hire Car, where Uber and Lyft drivers and other delivery drivers, they get on there to rent vehicles to make some money. So put my vehicle on there. It was rented a day later. And literally that individual had it for 36 days straight. And I made my, I had my first taste at passive income, made $1,200 in that first month. And this vehicle where I was paying, you know, $500 between the car note and the insurance now was cash flowing $700 a month. So it was a huge, it was a huge difference. It made a huge difference in my life. And then from there, I kind of just used all the profits from, you know, that first car and I bought two or three more vehicles that first year. And then I just started scaling the business more and more. And then it ended up buying me my first multifamily. And then I just scaled it from there. So that's a little bit of insight into my story. Um, but now I've now I've flipped wow. homes. Uh, so we've done two this year. We actually, one is closing tomorrow, uh, the flip, and then the other is closing next Wednesday, I believe. So doing that, uh, still heavily in the car rental space. The most vehicles I had was 18 at one time, but now since the used car market is just crazy right now, I've sold off, uh, sold off a couple of vehicles. And yeah, now it just helps a lot of people get started in the car rental business. I think now we're probably, you know, over 3000. So, you know, I'm super excited to see where we can take it. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. All the things that you were able to do. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me was when you made 24, 25,000 as a sophomore in high school. I mean, that's a lot of money to have, uh, especially a business, right? So you built that for the ground up and, and that was the founding, uh, founding stepping stones for you to, you know, create the business that you have today. Um, so a couple of things that, uh, stood out to me in addition was, um, you saw that corporate America wasn't the place for you. Um, can you, can you just tell me a little bit of like the steps that you took to make that transition? Did you, did you just leave and start your business or did you wait until your business got to a certain step or did you get your finances in place so that you could take that risk? Like what were the things that you did to leave your corporate job so you can take your business full time? Yeah. So my preparation actually started way before I even decided to leave. So when I graduated college, even though I majored in accounting and I was somewhat financially literate, um, I never really took my own advice because I actually used to give financial advice via this, you know, financial organization, just never really took it myself, you know, regards to budgeting, credit, et cetera, et cetera. So when I graduated college, I had, you know, 27K in student loan debt, which may not seem a lot, but I shouldn't have had 
two grand in student loan debt, but I took all the loans they gave me, spent it on BS, so on and so forth. Had about 8K in credit card debt. And my credit score at the time of graduation, it was like a 580. So once I graduated, I knew I had to get serious about my finances. So that's when I really started to kind of reprogram my financial blueprint. I had to realize that, you know, I wasn't really doing the wrong things. What I was doing, I was repeating the same mistakes that family members were making. And once I realized that, it was kind of a huge revelation because it was like, okay, well, essentially, I don't have my own financial blueprint. So now I have an opportunity to create my own. So it was very easy for me to forgive myself, being that, you know, I figured, I was just doing doing the same thing as everyone else. Um, so from there, I started reading a bunch of books, you know, books like Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, et cetera, et cetera. And listening to podcasts, like I literally stopped listening to music for an extended period of time. And man, I really reprogrammed my mindset. And then from there, you know, I started budgeting crazily, saving a ton of money, um, and then that led up into, you know, getting real estate, getting the car rental business. So I actually didn't willingly leave corporate at the height of the pandemic. I actually got laid off because I mentioned briefly earlier that I transitioned to a real estate company after I left uh, Big Four Accounting. And this company was primarily focused on commercial real estate primarily hotels. So, you know, once the pandemic hit, they had to close every single one of their hotels. And at that time, I literally was there for only six months, but I had already got promoted after like three months, but it was a totally new position. And I really didn't have an opportunity to prove the value that this position would bring because they literally created this position based on, you know, some of the things that I was recommending. Um, so that was crazy. But the dope thing about it was, I launched my course business a month before and we did 16K in our first month. So I literally looked at my my budget. I looked at, you know, what I had in my account. And I'm like, okay, well, I just made quadruple what I would normally make in a month. And I have this real estate. So I have the rental income coming in. I literally get paid to live where I'm where I'm staying. And then from there, I also have cash flows from these car rentals. So it was a no brainer, you know, once the VP called me and told me, you know, they had to let me go. He was sounding so sad on the phone. And honestly, I told him, <laughs> don't worry about it. I'll be fine. I have plenty of income coming in. And, you know, you never really think about getting laid off, or at least I never thought about it because I always, you know, take care of business, but I never knew that I would react that way in that moment. Like it literally had no effect on me in the moment. Um, and then it kind of set in, <laughs> it kind of set in where I felt like I needed to get another job. And it was just a fear thing because, you know, coming from a blue collar background, you're always taught that you should always be secure. And when you're dealing with entrepreneurship, it's really not a ton of security unless you have like, a huge subscription business. Like you always feel like there's this chip on your shoulder where you constantly have to earn, you know, the score, the scorecard resets every single day. So those are some of the ways that, you know, I prepped for becoming an entrepreneur. And even though it wasn't willingly by choice, I think, you know, God 
definitely had it in store for me. He definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone. And it was the late being laid off. Honestly, was the best thing that could have happened to me because seeing where I am now compared to where I was there. And that was, this was just a year and a half ago. It was just crazy. So I know there's a, a lot of people who have come up with some very innovative ways to make money, you know, post pandemic. Um, but I have to admit, I never heard of this car rental thing. So can you just uh, kind of go more into, you know, what it entails? How do you even find out about it? Um, yeah. And like, like, so, and really, I know you mentioned how many cars you have now, but um, can you just go into like more like why you decreased the amount of cars because of the climate and all that good stuff? Yep. So originally, like I mentioned, when I was looking for real estate, I couldn't really find anything um, in my price point. So I, stopped looking. And then one of my friends, he was actually doing the car rental business first. So he had told me about it. Um, and that's when I started trying it out. So that's how I learned about the business. But for those who don't know, the car rental business is very, very similar to Airbnb. Because essentially, you know, they let they let individuals rent out whatever commodity it is. Airbnb is the actual, you know, home with car rentals is a vehicle. So there's two main platforms, but it's a ton of other platforms popping up. You have Turo and you have Hire Car. With Turo, this is more suited for individuals who maybe just need a rental vehicle. They're coming into town or maybe their car is down and they don't want to go to one of the big car rental companies because they're a little bit more expensive. Um, so they use Turo or a lot of under a lot of other individuals they use was called hire car. So hire car is solely suited for individuals driving Uber and Lyft, or they do deliveries. So they can rent your car into and they can make money from it. It's pros and cons of both platforms. And then it's also other platforms like Get Around. It's platforms where you can rent out specifically like trucks and sprinter vans and things of that nature. There's so many different ways to get in this industry. But the the reason the industry is so lucrative is because it's really, really passive. Like the passive income is probably the best thing I like about the business. And then it's a very, very low barrier to entry. Like on average, my students pay anywhere from 500 to 1500 to get started. And a lot of them now are getting started with multiple vehicles at one time. Uh, so they're not just starting with one vehicle paying $500. They're probably starting with two to four vehicles paying, you know, 500 to $1,000 to get started. Typically not paying any money down for the vehicles, but that's why that's what kind of makes the car rental business like super, super lucrative. And then you're not really spending a bunch of time working in or on the business because it kind of just runs itself once you know how to automate it. But in terms of the current climate and why I've been selling vehicles, it's mainly because so many things impacting the industry, right? You have chip shortages where companies aren't able to produce the chips that go into these newer vehicles quick enough to, to keep up with the demand for vehicles right now. And then outside of that, you know, at the height of the pandemic, these rental car companies, they were having a lot of issues with their fleets. They weren't, people weren't renting because people weren't traveling. So what they did was to stay afloat, they sold off a ton of their fleet. So now there's this huge shortage of rental cars with the big companies. So that has just increased the price points of everything. Um, so now the demand is sky high because everybody's trying to travel again. So that just increased the prices for you know normal rental car agencies since they don't have the supply to keep up with it. And now people are turning to 
platforms like Turo and things of that nature. But it's the same thing with the used car market. It's so many people want vehicles right now and there's just not enough supply to keep up with it. So the prices just went crazy. Like for example, last year, I bought this 2016 Toyota Corolla cash for 10 or 11,000. And now, you know, the same vehicles are selling for 14 and 15,000. So that's a huge, that's a huge jump. Um, so one thing I advise my students nowadays, like you really have to make sure that the numbers work on your vehicles because you don't want to be underwater in a couple of years and I always advise them to get gap protection too. Cause in case, you know, the car gets into an accident and it gets totaled since prices are so high right now, you pay 15,000 and the value drops to 11,000 in a couple of years and your car gets totaled. You won't be on the hook for that difference. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we are in the car rental business right now, but business is booming. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, you know, before the pandemic, honestly, it was booming too. You know, I always had very, very consistent rentals. The only thing that changed really with the pandemic was the price points increased a bit, but yeah, that's kind of where we are today. So I, you, I'm glad you brought up the insurance because that was my next question. So, so let's say you have like, 20 vehicles how much would your insurance be i mean i know it depends on state and all those other you know variables but you know just a general number like how much would your insurance be monthly so it depends on how you do it um the i say the dumb way to do it is try to put you know all those vehicles on your personal insurance that's the dumb way to go about it but what we utilize is commercial insurance so Commercial insurance is way cheaper than your regular insurance because they actually have specific products meant specifically for the car rental business. So I, to give you an example, I just picked up, you know, a brand new Tesla, um, 2021 model three long range, fully self-driving everything. Right. And my insurance is literally $67 a month. So <laughs> you multiply that by 20, you're probably looking at what? a little over 1400 a month or something of the sort. Um, so that's not a lot when, you know, each vehicle is bringing probably over a thousand in gross income every month. So that's how we kind of play it when it comes to insurance. It's, it's actually relatively simple, you know, the only time people really get in trouble is when they use personal insurance. Cause when you use personal insurance, now you have to add that ride share protection or you decide to not get the ride share protection at all to save yourself a couple of bucks. But then if something happens and, you know, maybe higher car Turo insurance doesn't come through, or maybe the individual wasn't driving Uber and Lyft at the time. So they won't be on the hook either. And it actually gets to your personal insurance company. You may have issues, you know, trying to get that problem resolved, but that's why we kind of go to commercial insurance route. And the reason is the reason is cheaper as well is because nine times out of 10, it will never fall back on your commercial insurance provider. It's either going to be Turo, it's either going to be higher car, it's going to be Uber or Lyft. So that's another reason why that insurance is way cheaper. So, all right. So now you got a 20 cars. Where are you keeping all these cars? Yeah. So honestly, what we do is we leverage street parking. A lot of the times um, in Chicago, we have a ton of it, a ton of free parking. But honestly, these vehicles, they're always out. Like it's never a time where, you know, 10 plus vehicles are just sitting on 
sitting on the street unless all 10 of them are down, which rarely ever happens. That never has happened to me. But, you know, in these other cities, a lot of times what we'll tell our students is form these strategic partnerships. You know, my partner has done it before where you have a lot of mom and pop shops who, you know, because of the pandemic, they've lost a lot of money. And a lot of them have parking lots. And these parking lots are never full. So you can literally go in there, you know, talk to the owner, tell them, hey, I got this rental car fleet, you know, maybe one or two days a week. I'll have vehicles here. Can I pay you, you know, $50 a month to park my vehicles here? And they'll nine times out of 10, they'll be cool with it because it's a no brainer. You already have this parking lot. You're already paying taxes for these for this land. It's it's really a no brainer because the parking lot is never full and they need additional income anyway because they lost so much, you know, because of the pandemic. So those are a couple of ways that that we counter dealing with, you know, parking. But you can also just get a parking garage if you wanted to. Or some people who frequent the airport or frequently getting rentals from the airport, they'll just pay, you know, for a monthly membership at the airport. So it's a lot of ways to play parking. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, like the steps when you first starting for someone who's just starting and interested in the rental business, like the, the research, like the cars, like the location, like what are, what is like that, the strategic, the, the strategy used to start the business off correctly? Yeah. And this person only has maybe like 2,500 in the bank. Like, okay. How gotcha. would they start off? Yeah, no, they got a refund check, refund check, five, <laughs> five grand, five grand. Hey, say less. So, man, the first thing I tell people is you need to have an understanding of your why, because a lot of people, they get into business and they can get slapped in the face right from the jump. And just to give you an example of this, before I go further, I had a student named Phil out in Texas, literally took my course, got his first rental um, or got his first vehicle, got his first renter, renter literally totals the vehicle right away, like within the first couple of days. And this is his first car, first renter. And, you know, the average person, they probably wouldn't have got that gap insurance. So he was fine. He got all his money back. But it's like, if he didn't know his why, he would have quit from the jump. So you really got to understand, like, why are you getting to this business? You really have to understand how much monthly cash flow will make it worth it for you because you need a target. Because I always say, you know, if you don't have a target, then you can't aim. And if you can't aim, it's like, what you shooting at? So that's first and foremost. You First and foremost, you have to understand your why. And then from there, you got to do the research. So you need to have an understanding of what vehicles are popular in your market, what is already performing in your market. You need to know how to analyze vehicles. You need to know how to mitigate risk as well. You know, a lot of people, when they want to get in this business, they always ask like, man, what happens if somebody steals my car? What happens if somebody crashes my car? So what we use, we use GPS trackers and shut off devices. So whenever somebody steals it, whenever a renter is late, we can either, we can locate the vehicle so we know exactly where it is. And then, you know, if a renter is late and they're being unresponsive, we'll just turn off the car. So it's like literally once they put that car in park, 
But once they turn off the vehicle, they literally won't be able to turn it back on. So you will immediately get that call like, hey, the car won't start, yada, yada, yada. That's, that's literally how you solve the issue of a renter not responding. But um, so we leverage those to mitigate risk. And we have a couple of other tools to mitigate risk. But you have to have an understanding of how to mitigate risk because things will happen. You have to have an understanding of, you know, the proper insurance to get, making sure you get gap insurance. You need to have, you know, mechanics ready to go as well because you will have maintenance on the vehicles it's so much things that you need to get started um but it's cheap so a lot of people use nowadays what we call the boa play so we'll go to bank of america and we'll get multiple vehicles under one inquiry it's typically up to like four vehicles and what Bank of America does is they'll actually finance typically 105 to 110% of the value of the vehicle. So let's say if you get in the vehicle for $25,000, they will give you an extra about $2,500 on top of that to cover, you know, your title, to cover your taxes, to cover, you know, any additional fees. So a lot of my students, they're getting these vehicles with no money down. So when you talk about this individual has $2,500 to $5,000, to $5, they'll only be spending money on getting lock boxes so they can automate the pickup drop-off process. They'll be spending money on, you know, buying the GPS trackers and shut off devices and getting those installed. They'll be spending money on if they want to go to all weather mats to, you know, help with maintenance, which we definitely recommend. And then it's a couple of other things that they'll be spending money on. But typically, you know, someone who gets three, four vehicles out the jump, uh, they get all their GPS trackers, they get all the lock boxes. They're probably only looking at spending, you know, probably six to $700 to get started. And then those vehicles are going to generate at least probably 3000 a month in cash flow. So the trade-off is crazy. Um, the cash on cash return is ridiculous. Like most people, they'll make their money back on a vehicle in two and a half, three and a half months, which is unheard of. So you typically see 300 to 400% cash on cash returns per vehicle per year. So it's, it's super lucrative in that sense. Wow. Wow. So, so you would, so would you argue or would you say that um, real, if you had to choose between real estate investing, right? Cause uh, you talked about house hacking, you talk about looking for properties versus like the car rental, which one is uh, better in your view, or can you talk about the pros and cons? Yep, definitely. So I love real estate. I love real estate because it's a very, very stable asset. And that's the that's the biggest pro with real estate versus the car rental business because vehicles only have, you know, a certain amount of years. They probably have, you know, well, depending on the vehicle, of course, but the average used vehicle, you probably get six to seven years out of it, uh, especially since it's driven so much. So that's the huge con when it comes to car rental business. It's not really longevity for the vehicle. But the thing is, you know, if you buy a vehicle for 10K and you rent it out for a couple of years, you're going to make way more than you spent. And then since you're financing it, the same, you're doing essentially the same strategy as you would do with real estate, where instead of the tenant, 
paying down the note, the renter would be doing the same thing with, you know, your rental vehicles. So they're very similar. The, the biggest difference is just real estate has way more longevity, is way more stable asset. You don't have to worry about somebody crashing your house, like, <laughs> or your house getting stolen. So I think that's the biggest, <laughs> that's the biggest difference between, you know, real estate and car rentals. But I would definitely say, you know, car rentals is great to get a lot of cash flow very, very quickly without spending a ton of your capital. You know, real estate is a bit more capital intensive. It is ways to obviously, you know, get into real estate with no money down and things of that nature. But if you want to move a bit faster, I always say use that car rental money to invest in real estate. Cause that's exactly what I did. That's what I teach a lot of people to do as well. Cause you can just get so much cash so much so quickly. And then you can just leverage it to, you know, buy assets that you'll know will be here forever. Perfect. Um, no, I love that. So, so just to uh, go a little bit more deeper in terms of uh, where your business is today, um, how when how long did it take you to cross like uh, to have a six figure business, and then what are your goals for your business over the next two three years? Yep. So it took me, I think, two years to hit that mark. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a lot of time because I leveraged a lot of strategic partnerships. So what I would do is I would actually leverage other people's credit, other people's capital and other people's time. So a lot of people think you need all three of those yourself to get in the business, but you don't. So leveraging other people's credit, you know, if you're not buying, even if you're buying, um, vehicles, excuse me, in your business name, you need, you can leverage other people's credit. And how it works is if you have a partnership, they don't necessarily need to run both of you guys' credit. So at the time when I was starting my business, you know, I wanted to invest in real estate. So obviously me buying a bunch of vehicles on my personal credit would look terrible because my debt to income income ratio would just go to shit uh, when the lender is looking at it. So I had to get creative. So I just got with partners who had good credit. And when we went to finance vehicles, they would just put it in their name. And if we had any down payment, anything like that, we just put that 50-50 as well as the responsibilities of the business. So I'm getting into these vehicles, you know, with $500 or $600 just putting 10% down and then nothing is reporting on my personal credit. So that was huge. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's how I scale like really, really quickly. And in terms of, you know, where I want to see my business go in the next couple of years, I'm trying to decide what I want to do um, because EVs are becoming super, super popular. I'm trying to see if I'm going to go all in on EVs uh, since it's not really a ton out in the market. I think my biggest fear is with Tesla, seeing how the market reacts to all these other actual automakers, you know, getting into the EV space. I don't want to buy a bunch of Teslas and then the value of Tesla just drops significantly um, based on, you know, all these other vehicles entering the market. So that's where I'm trying to, you know, strategize my business moving forward. But I am turning my attention a lot more to real estate as well, too, because I want to build out uh, my rental portfolio because I've been just selling everything because this market is ridiculous right now. But I do want to start 
building back up that long-term cash flow. Because even with rental cars, like I mentioned earlier, it's not a ton of longevity with each vehicle, right? You have to keep acquiring vehicles, you know, every couple of years. So I just want to make sure that on the back end, I'm putting myself into a situation where I know money is going to be flowing in from these cash flowing rental properties. Um, and then we'll see, we'll see where the car rental business takes me. Hey man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I had a question, um, given that you're a CPA, um, and we haven't really addressed this on our podcast just yet. Can you talk about the tax, actual tax benefits to starting the business versus like a W-2? Because there's so many um, write-offs, so many incentives that you have when you have a business. Can you talk about like the, the pros of like starting a business and why you should start a business? Yep. I'll do both. So um, with the, with a W-2, right, you're kind of limited in what you can do. I think the biggest things you can do is, you know, invest in your 401k, invest in your Roth IRA, invest in a health savings account. Like some of those, like throwing that pre-tax money in some of those investment vehicles, those are like the biggest things you can do to reduce your taxable income when you're solely a W-2 employee. And everything is really, really capped. Um, and just to give you, you know, a basic example, I think with the 401k, and don't quote me on this, it's probably up to, you can invest to maybe 17k, um, somewhere around that mark in one year. In 195. 1950 is up to 95. Uh, I, don't, I don't invest in a 401k, so I don't know anymore. But on the contrary, you know, when you're a self-employed business owner, you can use a SEP IRA. And you can invest, I believe it's up to 55K in one year, and that'll just reduce your taxable income. So that's almost, that's more than, oh no, it's almost three times more than what you can invest in a 401k. So that's just one example. But the greatest thing about being a business owner is that you don't pay taxes, you don't pay taxes right away. Whereas, you know, Every time you get a check at your W-2, they're taking out all your taxes every single time. So when you're when you have your own business, you can essentially legally hide a bunch of your income using your expenses. So, you know, my business made 200K. I can go spend 150K on my business and and act like I only made, you know, 50K. But at the end of the day, I probably weigh made way more than that. So that's why a lot of these huge companies that make billions of dollars, they only pay, you know, they, they usually don't pay any taxes because they're spending it all. And they have a lot of creative strategies to, you know, reduce their taxes. And literally the tax code, the government, the United States, this whole system is built for business owners. And, you know, that's why it's so much inequality because they're not incentivized to help, you know, everyone who are earning them billions of dollars. They're not incentivized to help them do better because then you're essentially taking food off their place. It's really no incentive. And people need to understand that they need to just, instead of hating people who do it, they need to just implement these same things in their livelihoods. There's just so many tax deductions. Like literally, you know, if you work from home, you have your home office, that's a deduction. Um, if you want to buy a brand new vehicle, that's a deduction. Like there's so many deductions every day that 
everyone use like a cell phone that's it you should be deducting your, your cell phone bill you should be deducting your utilities like you could even deduct a portion of your rent like it's so much that you can deduct when you're a business owner but it's just so limited when you're solely you know a w-2 um, employee so i would advise folks like if you have a w-2 Get, a, get you an LLC, start a side business, whatever it is. And even if you're not super serious about it, like make some money off of it, but you can literally use that to, you know, reduce your taxes over time just by taking advantage of some of the simple things. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for just so many gems, so many, um, information that you're providing regarding starting the business and just the tax code and just sharing your story. Really appreciate it. My last question is just, you know, for people who are listening now, like what's one actionable step that they can take if they're interested in starting a business? Just a business in general? Yes. I mean, I'll say the first thing is, man, people always say, you know, do it, um, create a business plan. And while I'm a big proponent of those as well, I think you should just start. You know, because a lot of times the number one, number one thing that stops people from starting their business is themselves. Like fear, fear is always going to be there. And fear just stops a ton of people from doing it. And what really helped me starting is every time I had a moment where I doubted myself, I made sure to take one step of action because I realized that I don't have to do this all at once. But if I make progress every single day, then I'm going to look up and I'm going to, I'm, this thing is going to be built. And now I have, all I have to do is sell it. So I would say, make sure to just start. And then also make sure you're constantly feeding yourself information and motivation. So you can constantly be reminded, you know, what this thing is that you're trying to do and surround yourself with a community of like-minded individuals that's also trying to start businesses because you got to make success normal. And I think that's what's crazy about, you know, growing up in these underserved communities is that success isn't normal for us. So we oftentimes limit ourselves based on what we think is a huge goal. Like a lot of people, they want to make a hundred K a year and it seems huge in the beginning, but once you get it, you understand that that's not really a lot of money. Um, people make that in a day. People make that 10 times that in a day, right? I've seen people have million dollar days. So make sure you're exposing yourself to other communities, other people that you know are doing way better than you because that really expands your mind. And honestly, it's just like the analogy of, you know, putting a fish in a, in a small fish tank versus throwing it in the ocean, right? You only can grow based on your actual environment. So you got to make sure to get out of your environment into much bigger environments so that you can grow to your fullest potential, which you won't even know what that is until you see what's possible out there. So make sure to get that exposure. Love those tips. Love those tips. Um, you know, it all starts with your mindset and just taking those actionable steps um, and progress is progress. Uh, so I love all those tips and actionable items that you gave. Lastly, where can people find you? Wait, uh, wait, where... wait, 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 wait. You didn't oh. ask them the most important oh. question. Oh, you're back. My bad, Brown. Oh, yeah. We forgot. Go, Brown. The most <laughs> important <laughs> question of the show. So you mentioned that, you know, you were shy. Mentioned that you, you, you became a rebel. 
then you know high school you got good grades then you know you became an alpha you know the first black fraternity you know my fraternity as well um how are you fraternity brother how are you redefining your black experience man i'm refining my black experience by really just being my best self man um and I think I understood that from a very young age that once you figure out what you're super talented at, you owe it to not only just yourself, but your family to really, really go hard at that. And for me, it was always math. And that's why I went to accounting because I realized that, okay, you know, I see my family isn't super financially literate. Well, I'm going to be the person to understanding understand accounting, which is the language of business. Therefore, you know, once it comes to these financial literacy concepts, I know I'm going to be able to understand those. So, you know, I started redefining my Black experience since I was in high school. And now I'm just really, really trying to make sure that I'm setting myself up to reach crazy heights of success so that everyone who comes after me can see that it's possible. They can see that you can come from low income, you know, reach millions of dollars. And not only that, that you can help others along the way. So that's how I'm redefining my black experience. And where can people find you? Where people learn more about starting a car business? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the infamous CPA. Um, and all the links are going to be in my bio. I'm actually teaching a free webinar on October 13th on getting started in the car rental business. So you'll find that link in my bio as well. Or you can just go to theinfamouscpa.com and go to the Let's Work tab and you'll see all of my links there. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, this has been amazing. Just breaking down just the business. So we appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing and continue redefining the black experience. Wish you uh, more success and more blessings. Man, thank y'all for having me once again, man. 